listening to God's word, Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped spread the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering in my imprisonment. But what does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted, now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them this is evidence of your destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. 
since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is the gift of God's word. Let us pray. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, Katie and I have been invited to a lot of weddings. We're in that season of our life where there's handfuls of weddings every summer for the past seven or eight years that we get invited to. And we can't go to all of them, um, but we try to get out to the ones that we can. And two years ago, I got the honor and the privilege of officiating my brother's wedding. And he had some family in, or my, my, my brother's wife has family in France, and they had the wedding in France. It was beautiful. It was in southern France. It was in the chateau, kind of on the hillside of France. It was amazing. It was the most beautiful place in the world. And the ceremony was equally beautiful because I officiated it. Um, Thanks. Needed a little laughter with the warm air. And after the ceremony was over, we made this kind of walk back up this beautiful hillside into the chateau for the reception. And at this point, it was just a kind of a dreamy wedding, so to speak, where, you know, uh, there was no laughter. It was just kind of serious, but also really delightful and playful being in France. And at the reception, leave it to the best man to try to make some funny jokes about marriage and doing different things. And, and the best man shared this uh, joke. Because we go to so many weddings, I'd heard it before, but apparently everybody in France had never heard this joke. So <laughs> the joke goes, in marriage, there's actually three wedding rings. Have you heard this joke? There's three wedding rings. There's the engagement ring, there's the wedding ring, and then there's suffering. Yeah, I didn't, I'd heard it, so I didn't laugh. I knew, I knew it was coming. I knew what he was talking about. Uh, the best man. He was a goofball. Um, <clears throat> suffering, suffering. And I think there is some truth to that story. There's some truth to that joke. That's why we laugh, because there is a sense of suffering in marriage um, that's real. It's real. Last year, Katie and I had some friends from out of town come stay with us in while they're with us that weekend, we were having dinner together, and they shared with us a point in their marriage where they're experiencing some real suffering, some real loss. Uh, they had just had a miscarriage before they came and stayed with us. And while we were having dinner, there was just that sense of heartbreak, that sense of sadness, that sense of loss. They were going through a period in their marriage where they were going through a time of real struggle and real sadness and lament of what had just happened through the miscarriage. After dinner, I was talking with the husband of this couple a little bit more, and he shared with me what was kind of going on for him in this whole process of going through this situation. And he said for him, you know, it was just different as he reflected on marriage from his perspective, because for, for her, she had had this real sense of real physical loss, but also a loss of dreams and hopes and, and, and emotions that were getting excited. And for him, he, he didn't have that sense of loss the same way that she did. Um, it was still real. It was still hard. There was sadness there. There was that sense of being partners in this. But it wasn't the same way that it was, it was for her. Um, 
And, and I remember this conversation. I remember this conversation mostly because, you know, when you have those intimate conversations with friends sometimes in life, they just stay with you. You remember them. But more so than that, I think it just reminded me of what does it look like to be in solidarity with one another when we're going through hard times, when we're going through struggles like this, when we're going through suffering. Um, and also even on the other side, what does it mean to be in suffering and share that with other people? Those are tremendously hard questions. Those are tremendously hard questions. And I think even if we're not married, we still wonder this sometimes too. What does it mean to be in solidarity with other people as they go through loss? And I've talked to a lot of people this week, and I know this is something we've been thinking about that's on our minds as we look at the news and we think about what's going on in Texas with Hurricane Harvey. There's a sense of real loss and sadness when we look at the news and we see what's going on. But there's also moments of joy. There's moments of joy. And I was talking to Kristen, and Kristen was saying, she was talking about the Cajun Navy. Have you heard of the Cajun Navy? Did you hear this this week? I didn't know what the Cajun Navy was. Um, but it's a group of mostly guys who have trucks and boats that live in the bayou in Louisiana. And because so many people from Texas came to help out during Hurricane Katrina 12 years ago, they did the same thing. And they just came out with all of their boats and they're pulling people out of houses and trying to help them and save their lives and to be with them. And so the moments of joy in this week have been those moments of human solidarity, of people coming to the rescue of one another. They didn't even know each other, but they were putting themselves on the line to care for each other and to love each other in really tangible ways. For you and I, though, we're not members of the Cajun Navy, right? <laughs> At least I don't think so. Is there anybody in the sanctuary today? I'd be curious if that were the case. Um, but from a distance, when we see things like this, how do we be in solidarity with the people of Texas right now? I know there's a lot of, there are some people that have real connections, and so that's true. But for a lot of us, we're, we're at distance. You know, we, we can give money to organizations to help them. We can pray for people. But the question remains, what does it mean for us to be in solidarity at a distance, at a distance? I think in this way, these are the questions that the Apostle Paul is thinking about when he writes this letter to the Philippians. Paul is going through some real struggles when he writes this letter to the Philippians. Though it's commonly known as the joy letter, and we hear those moments at which he rejoices, there's also a tendency in Christians to just read those parts and not read the rest of the text of Philippians. In the common lectionary, when Philippians shows up, uh, they only select certain points of Philippians and they ignore other parts of Philippians because they don't like going to those places necessarily of the struggle, of the challenge for Paul. But Paul is going through some suffering. He's imprisoned. He's been imprisoned. And for Paul, Paul is a Roman citizen and he's also Jewish by birth and was a Pharisee. So Paul, when he was alive, he enjoyed all the privileges and the statuses that were the highest of the society at that time. He was the most sort of honored person in the room, so to speak. So for him to be imprisoned meant that he lost all of that status, all of that privilege, and was now imprisoned. There was a real sense of loss for Paul. All of that was gone, and he was imprisoned. He also talks about um, how there's people out there now that are preaching out of false motive and they're doing it to cause him suffering while he's in prison because he can't be out there preaching anymore. There's people that are preaching out of selfish ambition. 
And this is upsetting him. It's causing frustration and suffering in him while he's in prison. And then there's another piece that's really interesting that we'll see throughout the whole of Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's this conversation about honor and shame, about honor and shame, that before Paul knew Jesus, honor was these statuses, it was these privileges of being the Roman citizen, of being the Pharisee, of being sort of the best one in the room, so to speak. And now all of that stuff is gone. He's, he said he's let that go and he's yoked himself to Jesus Christ. In the very first two verses, it says that when he writes this letter to the Philippians, he says, it's me and Timothy writing you this letter. We are servants of Jesus Christ. And even the servants part is a, a bit misleading. In the Greek text, the word is slave. It's doulos. It's slave. He's identified himself so much with Jesus that he's yoking himself to Jesus and saying, my honor is not mine anymore. It's whatever it is that's connected to Jesus Christ. As we look at this letter, I think we'll see that this letter to the Philippians helps us understand Christian solidarity in both ways, in the sense of what does it mean to be with people in their suffering, but then also on the other side, when we are in those places of suffering and challenge, what does it mean to let other people into that? What does it mean to let other people into that? And it's all centered around this perspective of doing that through the Holy Spirit with a faith, with a faith that would seek to see God at work in the midst of it. With a faith to see God at work in the midst of it. When my wife and I were married seven years ago, uh, we also had a beautiful ceremony. I did not officiate the wedding. Um, I was in the wedding. But it was officiated by one of my very good friends, Dave Rohr. And for those of you who were here a couple years ago at my installation service, Dave was a pastor from Seattle, Washington. He came down, he flew, and he preached at that service two years ago. And Dave's a really good friend of mine, and uh, he's a very good mentor as well. And so he officiated our wedding, and at the end of his sermon during our service, he says the same thing every time, and, I, and I've decided to say this too now. Every time I do a wedding ceremony, I borrow this from Dave. Dave always gives this piece of advice at the end of his sermons. He says to the couple, he says, when you pray for each other, don't pray to God to change your spouse, but pray that you may see how God is at work in their life. Pray that you may see how God is at work in their life. He says, God never answers the prayer to change your spouse. <laughs> um, you know, and he's saying this in this moment of, of, of laughter, right, of levity, that in marriage, there's moments at which partners and spouses, uh, you know, the things happen, and uh, our uniqueness, our quirkiness comes out, and there can be challenge. But instead, pray that you will see how God is at work in them. And if you can pray that prayer, God answers that prayer. I think it's really similar here with Paul, too, and this idea of solidarity. That maybe even in those moments, not just of quirkiness, but also the sense of where's the challenge and the suffering to pray that prayer. God, where are you at work in this? Where are you at work in this? I may not be able to fix this, but where are you at work in this? And can you give me eyes to see it, God? I think this is the prayer, the wisdom that Dave prayed that day for us and shared with us that day is also the wisdom that the Apostle Paul is sharing with the Philippians. In verse 9, he says this to the Philippians. He says, And this is my prayer, 
that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight. I think that's a beautiful prayer, that's beautiful wisdom that Paul shares with the Philippians. And I think there's good news in it, like what Dave said, that this is the kind of prayer that God answers. God helps us see how God is at work in our own lives and in the lives of others that we're connected to. This is the kind of prayer that God answers. I want to share another story about how I've seen this at work in our community in the past week. Uh, the Presbytery of San Francisco is, this, is, the, is the local body that's all of the Presbyterian churches in San Francisco in the Bay Area. We're all connected. And one of the things that the Presbytery of San Francisco decided to do a few weeks ago, uh, it was about a month, two months ago, about two months ago, uh, they had a lot of extra money and they decided that they were going to give $5,000 to each Presbyterian church to try to live out this idea of the parable of the talents. So there's a story about Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew where there's somebody who has money and he gives out these parable, he gives out these talents to each person to see what they'll do with it. Um, some people use those talents to grow things and to make things bigger and better, and then they give the money back to the, the person who has the money. Somebody just digs a hole in the ground and puts the money in the ground and then and then brings it back out and gives it to them, but doesn't make anything happen with it, doesn't bear fruit with it. So the idea of the parable of the talents is that Jesus is saying is what is given to you, go bear fruit with what you have been given. Don't just bury it in the ground. And so we were given this money as a church, this $5,000, and the community outreach ministry team at this church prayed a lot when they got this letter in the mail for the past month. They prayed about it, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they said, God, how do you want us to use these dollars? How do you want us to use this money to come alongside what you are already doing at work through our relationships in our community? And I just want to tell you, this is how they decided to use some of the funds. They are going to give $3,000 to St. Francis Center to help them with a capital campaign for a passenger bus so that they can do more activities in the community. And then they're going to give $1,500 to Puente's citizenship funding pool. Puente is one of our ministry partners, and they serve the migrant worker, the migrant working farming community around Pescadero. And they have a program that helps them, help those people become citizens. So money's going to that fund to help them. And then the last one is that there's going to give some money to this thing called the Catalyst Project, which is a learning institution in the Bay Area to address issues of racism and learning how to become less racist in the way that systems function here. So I just thought this was a, actually a great example of what it looks like as a church to pray, God, where are you at work, and then join together with it. That The community prayed about it a lot, they saw, and they joined together with it. And that was a vision of solidarity. That was a vision of solidarity. And so perhaps for each of us, May we continue to pray that prayer that Dave taught me and that prayer that Paul taught the Philippians to both see in the relationships that we have, God, where are you at work? Where are you at work right now? Where are you at work in my life? Where are you at work in the lives of others I want to join together with in solidarity? There's good news there, friends, because God is at work.
God is at work in your life and in the lives of others around us. Let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for the Apostle Paul, for his life, for the way your spirit and Jesus came alongside him and shaped him. And and even while he was imprisoned, he was inspired to write this letter to the Philippians. And now we get to benefit from that wisdom that he shared with them, God. So may your spirit continue to speak to us, to empower us and give us a faith to see where you are at work in our lives and where are you at work in the lives of the people that we have joined together with in solidarity. We ask this in Jesus Christ. Amen.